Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brett Keen from God TV Radio. This is the Brett Keen Show that you are watching and listening. Whenever you get an opportunity, check out my international radio station. And also, you can go to the front of my YouTube channel and check out my store. It has merchandise like posters, um, my book. <laughs> I don't know if any of you out there actually read the afterlife simulation. I know a lot of my friends have out there and a few fans. And uh, you've said some pretty nice, cool things about it. I appreciate it. But you can check out my shirts and merchandise and all that right on the front of my YouTube channel. And make sure that if you have Twitter or Facebook or any of these social media sites, feel free to share my content with your friends and let them know, hey, this Brett King guy, he's pretty cool. I'll be doing some more Starfield videos. I just got done watching a TTOR video where yet another um, atheist, popular atheist, became a Christian, and that's really cool. I've been noticing that a lot lately. There, It doesn't feel like it used to be on YouTube where it was atheist against Christian anymore. A lot of atheists uh, that are coming out are taking things more seriously. A lot of the older atheists are starting to see the validity in... Uh, at least the concept of God, not so much religion, but the belief in God. And to be honest with you, and this may surprise some of you, but I was never out to convince people what religion was correct or true or right, even though I'm convinced Christianity is true, more true than the other ones. I still believe that there's a lot of philosophy and a lot of truths that can be found on many different roads. And no, I'm not a universalist. I just believe that God is not a narrow deity where he just exists on one plane of reality. I think that God has, because of his nature of loving all of us, I believe that he's interacted with Muslims, pagans, Jews, and, uh, you know, the meme that they have for Brett Keen, basically, God's out there for everybody, including atheists. And I've met a lot of atheists out there who've um, claimed to have seen ghosts, claimed to have had spiritual experiences, claimed to have enlightenment, uh, to transcend this world, all kinds of different things. And they were dead serious about it. They weren't joking. Well, as many of you know, <clears throat> I up a, a poll on my community page. I ask people questions there because I'm trying to get an idea of what people enjoy watching the most out of my content. Um, and people said that they like it whenever I talk about God and atheism. They said they like it when I talk about entertainment and video games. But for some reason, a lot of you out there are mostly interested in my personal life. And to be honest with you, I... I guess I've had a very unusual um, experience growing up. I suppose that some of my stories some people can relate to and some people find unusual. I suppose some people like to know about other people's personal life because they want to understand the nature of the person, why the person is the way they are, and that's fine. I used to talk about my personal life a lot in the past, but I felt like people were using my personal life in order to cause drama or aggravate. 
because I've always been honest with a lot of you. I've always said, look, this was something that was very painful for me. If I talked about a tragedy or a loss or someone dying in my life, you know, these were things that basically broke my heart or they hurt me. And then people out there, for whatever reason, my haters, as I guess they call them, people who don't like your content or don't like you as a person, decide they want to take your most weakest points and then kick you while you're down. Honestly, I don't understand that kind of behavior. I have never in my entire life watched an atheist video or a religious person um, where they talked about losing someone in their life or having some painful moment or perhaps they were raped or they were sexually assaulted or they were um, lost someone extremely important in their life. Have I ever had like this desire inside my mind that I need to make a video laughing at them or making fun of them? In fact, there's a lot of people out there that I didn't like people that annoyed me, um, people that I thought were cruel and terrible. And then they would have that moment where they'd make a video talking about themselves or sharing some loss or tragedy that happened in their life. And it changed my entire perspective on them. It made me say, oh, this is a real person. This isn't just some sociopath who's cruel. This is someone who has hurt. And in that way, I've been able to relate with them. And maybe that's why some people like hearing my personal stories. Um, maybe it helps you understand me better and you have a bad outlook or perspective of me, or maybe you're a good person who just wants to understand how I got to be the way I am today. And that's fine. Well, I guess we should start out the personal story with something that was very major to me whenever I was a kid. That's usually the kind of stories you like to hear. You guys like to hear about things that I went through or things that I experienced and then how I dealt with it, that I find a solution, that kind of stuff. One of the most major issues in my life, and I haven't talked much about this. I've shared a lot of things, but I didn't talk a lot about this, um, was I used to have what is referred to as night terrors whenever I was a child. Night terrors or something, it's basically a sleeping disorder. It causes it to where you could find yourself sleepwalking or waking up suddenly and screaming and yelling on top of your lungs. Uh, or you could start swinging at things or um, have outbursts. Unfortunately for me, I had this happen a couple times while I was actually in school. And this caused a lot of problems. Whenever I was growing up, unfortunately, because I was having so many nightmares, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. So sometimes when I went to school, I would fall asleep in the middle of class. And back then, they didn't have good air conditioning or good heating systems. So it could get really hot during, you know, when it's getting closer to summertime. And it would make you very uh, calm and very, you know, uh, sleepy. So I would end up falling asleep in class a couple times. And uh, I want you to all realize that this wasn't like a consistent habit of mine. I didn't like the idea of falling asleep in a classroom. 
I enjoyed learning as much as I could and listening to the teacher. I actually liked school. I actually liked learning shit, and I was making very good grades. But there were a couple times where I fell asleep because I hadn't slept prior or the night before, and I ended up doing my sleep right then and there in the middle of class, and then I'd have a night terror. So you got to imagine what it's like having 30 kids in a classroom and suddenly somebody jumps up and starts screaming and yelling and all that. Like a kind of like a, if you could envision, if you've ever seen the movie Nightmare on Elm Street, where Nancy's late, you know, sitting under desk and she has this really vivid dream of Freddy Krueger and then wakes up screaming and yelling and slamming her desk. Well, of course, that's going to stun and astonish and shock the hell out of a lot of students. They don't know what the fuck's going on. Suddenly, someone just starts screaming and yelling and going loon tune, right? Well, because of this, I ended up having the, the teacher ended up having me go to the principal. And I ended up having some kind of what is called teacher's meeting between my mother. My father never showed up to these things. My father never really got involved in anything out into a school. And in fact, when we were at home, he wasn't around. So we didn't do things like a normal family where mom and dad sat down, discussed, you know, their kids' issues or problems and blah, blah, blah. My mother only came to the school because the teachers basically told her that she had to. <laughs> she wouldn't. She wasn't one of these type of people that volunteered cookies and cupcakes and shit like my wife does. <laughs> so only if she had to or it was going to cause some kind of aggravation. And I suppose it happened too many times they expected to talk to my mom. So during this time, while I was a young person, this was back in the 80s, Back then, during the 80s, doctors were really heavy into experimental drugs. They wanted to do lithium. They wanted to do drugs that uh, stop you from hyperactivity, attention deficit disorder. Everything had a diagnosis. And it it became well known by the end of the 90s that A lot of kids were diagnosed with things that they didn't actually have, but doctors would prescribe drugs like candy and shit. Well, during the 80s, it was the worst. It was where they didn't even care at that point. They were just doing it and doing it. And it wasn't until the 90s when those same kids grew up and you got to see how fucked up the medicine affected them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was a big problem with the medical field back then. They just wanted to test, test, test. And I suppose you could make the argument that nowadays they kind of do that whenever it comes to vaccines, right? They just want to, you know, make some soup up in a fucking lab real quick and then try it out on you like you're a guinea pig. But we won't get too far into that because I don't want to lose my YouTube channel over pointing out fucking actual facts about shit. (laughs) let's just get back to my personal story so they wanted to do all this shit and unfortunately a lot of the uh, pills they wanted to do actually caused me to be more sleepy so I had more incidences where I was sleeping more whenever I was at home as well as also found myself like that in the classroom 
And it's interesting because even though all this shit was experimental, you pretty much knew that it was going to just cause problems to be worse. You're going to sleep more. And it's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street a little bit. The idea is, is that going to sleep means that you're going to have dreams. And then the dreams could possibly be nightmares that end up amplified into what is referred to as the night terror. So basically they were putting you in a sleep-like state where you were going to experience more bad shit. Well, because obviously the medicine didn't work as they wanted, they wanted to start sending me to counselors weren't good enough. So they started wanting to send me to, um, like a psychiatrist and I remember going to the psychiatrist. It was an older man who was smoking a cigar. Back then, people were able to smoke in restaurants. Psychiatrist was able to smoke a cigar in his office. And nobody was bitching and whining about smoke detectors and all that kind of shit. A lot of things have changed about society since my day. People used to be able to walk around in fucking hospitals and buildings and shit and be able to smoke. But somebody got the bright idea that, hey, you know, secondhand smoke or drinking too much coffee or doing this and shit. I can't tell you how many things I've seen change from the point of the 70s to now. There's just so much radical differences. I feel like I'm living in an alien world sometimes. If you're a young person, to you, everything is fine. But I literally grew up. I got to see what VHS tapes look like. I got to see cassette tapes go from cassette tapes to CDs. I got to see CDs turn into Blu-rays. I got to see Blu-rays turn into social media and live streaming and shit, and I feel like I'm like a fucking elder or something because of that. It's weird, because I'm 46 years old, and I feel like I'm much older than what I should be, because I've literally seen technology and so many things explode in just the last couple of decades that just simply didn't exist before. I've often wondered, did we catch some aliens? Did some aliens like land on the earth or crash and then a bunch of scientists took their technology from them in a lab or a hangar or something and then that's the reason why technology just blew up because we learned so much from some kind of alien interaction whether they were dead or alive that's foolish i know it's crazy but some people actually think that some people believe that but i've uh, i've wondered about it hmm so I ended up having to go to a psychiatrist about the night terrors. And one of the things that, uh, it wasn't, how do I put this? I had dreams where things were following me. I had dreams where of, uh, what you would imagine to be demons or monsters and shit like that. But that wasn't really what was scaring me. I know that's odd, right? It wasn't the idea of demons or monsters or something trying to pull me down into hell in my dreams that was scary to me. What was really scaring me was when I was seeing like a loved one or someone I cared about being hurt. If something was happening to me, like if a bunch of hellraisers showed up and started ripping me apart, you know, like the movie, that didn't bother me. 
it was like, yeah, so what? It's like I knew I was in a dream and I was able to deal with that, but I wasn't able to deal with what the psychiatrist referred to as abandonment issues or the loss of other people. It's like you could make me suffer all day. You could hurt me. You could kill me. You could, you know, mutilate me, but don't, don't show me like something where you're taking someone I love away. Don't make it to where when I wake up, and I, I that's one of the weird things I had too in my night terrors. Sometimes they seem so vivid, so lucid, so real that I couldn't tell that I was asleep sometimes. Sometimes it seemed too real. And I had a lot of moments where I would wake up inside the dream. I'd have one of those inception deals where it seemed like there was nobody in the house. I had a couple of dreams where I was in school and nobody was there. And it was stuff like that that fucked me up. It was stuff like waking up and not seeing anybody around and then walking down the street looking for people and they were all gone as if they were all raptured away. And um, I was the only one. See, I mean, I don't know about you folks, but wouldn't you think that's weird? Wouldn't you think that's scary? A frightening to wake up and your mother's not there or your wife and your kids are gone. Everybody's like vanished and it's just you. There's a lot of Christian groups out there that actually believe in that kind of concept too. They believe in a, some Christians believe in a rapture where everybody's going to get sucked up and some people will be left to deal with the consequences and the isolation and the darkness that is left. Not sure where I stand on any of that kind of stuff. It seems to me my view has always been that people are going to, some people are going to die and other people are going to be lifted up, kind of like the story of Enoch, but not so dramatically like what some people think. I think that some kind of natural disaster will come and through that in the process God will retrieve us, or at least our souls. Well, Let's get back to the night tears and dreams. So according to the psychiatrist, the reason why I was having these dreams was because I had lost people in my life and also abandonment issues. Now, there were many times where a child goes through a bunch of shit and usually they have a parent there to kind of help them through it or teach them through it. I didn't have that. My mother and my father weren't very good at um, basically being able to talk to me. If I had a bad dream and I screamed out in the middle of the night, my parents were the type of parents that were like, um, you know, shut that shit up. Keep the fuck quiet and stuff. We're trying to sleep. We got to work tomorrow kind of thing. There wasn't no, are you okay, you little Johnny? Are you okay? Do you want to hear a story before you go to sleep? Here, let me tuck you in. Or, you know, the mom that comes in, sits on the bed and rubs your fucking head and tells you everything's going to be okay. That's not the way my life was. It was like, shut the fuck up. Be quiet. People are trying to sleep. You're going to wake our fucking neighbors up with that bullshit. <laughs> if it wasn't for the teachers in the school, if it wasn't for the uh, them saying they'd get my mother and father for neglect and shit, or, you know, have them get in some kind of trouble over this shit, I would have never 
um, even talk to a psychiatrist and realize that there was a problem there. So I ended up learning that I had abandonment issues, and I also learned that according to the psychiatrist, their, their drivel, that my fear of loss. How many of you out there have anything like that? Are you the type of person where it doesn't matter what people do to you, but if they do it to your loved ones, you'll bend over backwards, you'll hunt the universe for a son of a bitch that hurts your family or your friends, but it doesn't matter what people do to you? I've often had uh, people even mention that on YouTube where they say, why is it that Brett doesn't say anything very often when people talk directly about him for her? And the truth is, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Like I said in my nightmares, I didn't care if Hellraisers ripped me apart. But it was when people went after my loved ones and the people I cared about. Because uh, whenever I was younger, I didn't have a whole lot of shit. I didn't... I was a poor kid who all I had was my friends and I had a few family members that I felt like I could count on. Only a few of them. And when I say a few, I'm talking about under a handful. So when I did have something good in my life, I held on to it like it was life itself. If I met someone that I thought was beautiful and wonderful and fantastic, I gave everything I could. I committed everything to making things right for that person. The psychiatrist said it's also a self-esteem issue. It's a don't take care of yourself type of deal, but you want to take care of other people. Well, the truth was at the time, I didn't know what that meant. Take care of myself. I wasn't, a, you know, I bathed. I took care of myself. I ate when I had to. I took a shit when I needed to. What do you mean take care of yourself? Well, apparently psychiatrists seem to have this idea that you should love yourself, that you should care about yourself. And I remember the psychiatrist telling me once, he said, if you want to love other people, you have to learn how to love yourself first. You can't hate yourself or disrespect yourself and then expect to be able to do it right with other people. And I thought, well, that's kind of stupid. Why can't you, why can't you give all your love to someone else? Why does... Why do you have to spend time looking in the mirror and tell yourself how special you are? What a fucking achievement or accomplishment you are. That's dumb. Why would you do that for? You know, the only thing I ever really told myself whenever I was young that was special was, man, I'm lucky to still be a fucking alive. <laughs> I'm lucky somebody didn't take me out like a fucking animal behind the shed and put me down. That's about as good as I felt about myself, that I was lucky just to even exist. My parents told me a long time ago that I was an accident. They didn't tell me that I came here because there was purpose or that I was meant to be. My father even told me that he expected my mom to perform safe sex and that he didn't want a kid, that his life was too screwed up, and apparently she went ahead and allowed herself to get pregnant is what he called it. So I was never meant to be here. Mm, let me take a swig of my vapor. Getting a little stuffy in the nose, though. It's, uh, this allergies around here have been shitty. Oof. 
So the whole psychiatrist thing that didn't last very long did that for about a year and it's kind of fucked up and it's coincidental if you ask me because one of the whole reasons I was there was because of the fear of losing people and then having nightmares about it. The fear of abandonment. And then within one year, that guy, that old psychiatrist who was smoking a cigar and had all these all this great philosophy, he ends up dying on me. Are you fucking kidding me? He dies. Yeah, I, I go, I'm sitting in the fucking waiting room, waiting for my appointment, and the secretary, she goes, uh, you're, you're Brad Keene, right? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, we got bad news. Um, apparently, the psychiatrists that you were seeing, they didn't have bedtime manners like they do nowadays. They just straight up told you when something fucked up was wrong back in the day. There was no, you know, bullshit around it or take you into a fucking other room and, you know, like give you a hug or something. None of that bullshit. None of that soy sensitivity crap. She just said right from her desk, didn't even bother to stand up. There were no tears. She's just like, he's dead. So you'll have to find you another psychiatrist. I'm like, find me another psychiatrist. I didn't find this one. You know, I would, this was what I was appointed by the fucking school and all that shit. And by juvenile facilities. I didn't wake up one day and say, man, I need a psychiatrist. <laughs> I'm not going to find another one. Well, the truth is I never did. I never did. I did end up in some foster care and some placements and shit because my father ended up leaving my mother. Then my grandmother ended up dying. And my mother got sick. So I didn't have... I didn't have a good, safe home to be in, and the system ended up coming in and taking me, and I ended up living inside of, uh, like, foster homes, residential homes, placement areas. And some of these places, they expected you to talk to, like, somebody to talk about your life or some of your issues. But I decided after my first experience, after dealing with that psychiatrist, I realized that if I talk too much about my problems or my issues, then they were going to treat me like a guinea pig again. Even though I liked that old psychiatrist and he was cool as fuck and I enjoyed my time talking to him, he was also giving me a lot of medicines. He was also writing down shit all the time. And the next thing I knew, I had to go get more medicine. So this time around, the next time I start running into psychiatrists or counselors or anything... And they'd ask me about my fucking day. I'd tell them, oh, shit's great. Are you sleeping okay? Yeah, I'm fucking sleeping great. Um, are you eating well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, whatever the place gives me. I fucking scarfed that shit right down. Everything's fine. My life is fucking rainbows and unicorns. It's beautiful. Because I learned that if you tell them there's a problem, they're going to make more problems for you. So... You know, a lot of people in the system, they say things like, how is it that all these crazy people manage to get out on the street? And I'm not claiming I'm crazy or I'm a danger to anyone or anything, but that's what happens is that a lot of these crazy people, they go to psychiatrists and the psychiatrists make a bunch of trouble for them. Well, sooner or later, it's going to click. If I don't say certain things and I don't respond in certain ways, then they're going to leave me the fuck alone. 
You know what I mean? That's how I think a lot of nutcases ended up out on the street. They finally became intelligent enough or self-aware that they realized, man, if I keep telling these people the cool fucking stories that are going on in my head that I'd like to do in humanity, they're going to fucking medicate me and put me in some kind of hole somewhere. So people get the idea that just tell everybody it's a good day. It's great. I wasn't nuts or anything, ladies and gentlemen, but night terrors are, it's like the next level of nightmares and dreams. That's something I dealt with. And like I said, it was mostly because I didn't have that structure. I didn't have that learn how to deal with the loss of someone. It took me years to be able to... Um, function properly when my grandmother died and when I say function properly getting to a point where you can tell yourself that yes that person's gone yes that person is dead but even though that was terrible to finally get to the point where you can say I can live without that person I can live with just having the memory it's hard to do that. It's hard to be able to, especially like, a let's say a man loses his wife or a wife loses her husband. There's a moment there, even for what you would call normal people, where you say, I simply cannot function without this person in my life. This person was a part of my life. They were a part of my walk. They were a part of my journey. And the journey just doesn't simply it doesn't mean anything anymore unless they're with me. They're my soulmate. And when someone's disconnected from you, you feel like your soul has been violated, if that makes sense. Anybody that's ever lost someone, you know what I'm talking about. You can't imagine living in the world without that person that you're waking up to or that person you talk to on the phone. Well, it was a hundred times amplified with myself. And maybe it was because... Maybe I was, I suffered like everybody else, but nobody ever like sat with me and tried to help me deal with those feelings and how I should respond to them, if that makes sense. A lot of you, you may go to a funeral home and see someone that died and then you'll have people that surround you and want to hug you and hold you and tell you everything's going to be okay and people will go out of their way to make the effort to be there for you. I didn't have that. When people died in my life, it was just me then that was left, that was alone. And you don't have anybody to, like, guide you through the mess. I think that's one of the reasons why whenever I was a kid, um, a child, the concept of God really helped me. Because I, whenever I was a little boy, I did believe in God. I'm obviously nowadays I believe in God, but there was a, a time whenever I was a kid and when I felt alone and I felt like I had no one to guide me, I prayed and somehow believing in God and believing that there was someone watching the, me and caring for me um, also made me feel as though the next day was going to be better somehow, some way. I remember when I became a non-believer, there was a moment there where I felt like I was 
I almost felt good for a moment whenever I became a non-believer because I felt like I was abandoning something that I felt had abandoned me or simply it just didn't make sense. If it existed, it should be doing more kind of attitude. I don't know. I, I've seen a lot of non-believers with that kind of behavior and that kind of attitude where they just, they seem like they're angry at God or they're angry at the idea that it didn't turn out the way they expected it to. And then they feel better whenever they yell at it or talk trash about it or something. It's weird. It's like a subconscious hatred towards something they claim that isn't real. But the truth is, is once you believe wholeheartedly in something, like believing in someone you love or you care about, and then they do something that's unexpected or they don't do something at all when you feel like you really need them. And I think that whether you believe that person ever was what you thought they were or ever what you thought that your beliefs were accurate, it angers people inside. But it doesn't just anger people about that thing not coming through or that person. I think it makes people angry at themselves. You get angry at yourself because you ask yourself, why was I so weak and stupid that I even relied on that guide in the first place? And I suppose when you become the non-believer, you say to yourself, I'm no longer stupid. I don't need anybody to guide me. I don't need any advice. I don't need your Bible. I don't need your book. I don't need your story to tell me how to do shit anymore. And for some reason... Your ego feels better about that. It makes you feel good to tell yourself that you don't need shit from anybody, that it's all you, and that you is enough that's, that answers enough of the questions that you supposedly are looking for. It's a weird psychological trip that people put themselves into. But sooner or later, once you start getting around all that shit, and you start steering through your own stew and digging through your own bullshit that you've basically invested nonsense all over yourself. When you start realizing that the universe doesn't act the way you want it to and that humanity isn't the way you interpret it and that there's more to things than what um, your ego can possibly imagine, that's when you start opening it up back to the concept of God. So, some of you out there are probably wondering yourself, I'm sorry for going on that little outside rant, but some of you are probably wondering, what about your dreams and night terrors? Do you still have them? Did they stop? Actually, at around, I'd say probably between 20 and 30 years old, that shit started to slow down. And I think the reason why is because at around 17, 18 years old, I met my wife. And then we ended up having kids. And I basically realized that I didn't have to just attach myself to someone and, and care about someone that came into my life. Now I was actually, I could build my own family. I could build people, um, not build people, but basically be able to be a part of the beautiful miracle that is having a family and being able to be a part of the creative process 
and lives being able to um, be here and achieve things and accomplish stuff. But I'll tell you, doing the whole father thing from the point of being a kid that didn't get fathered or mothered right or didn't have anybody guiding, I realized how painful that was, and I realized that once I brought kids in the world, I need to be better than what the hell I dealt with whenever I was a kid. Basically, I wanted to give things to my children that I never had. I wanted to be able to give things to my wife that I never had. Does that make sense? I wanted to be the father that I never knew. I wanted to be the father that never loved me. I wanted to be the man that gave to my children when my kids needed someone to listen to or talk to and all that, I was there. I wanted to be the man that was a good husband, a good father, and do do the right things. But it's not as easy as said because if you never had any guidance in the first place, how do you do it? And this is going to come off weird for some people, but I guess I took my lessons from God. God watches, he listens, and he loves us, and there's a reason for everything. And God's going to give us some things, and he's not going to give us others. And maybe he doesn't give us certain things because he doesn't want down the road that same thing to hurt you. So he tries to give you what you need and sometimes what you want, but not always. There's always a reason. I guess I took my guidance of being a dad from God. God literally became the father that I never had on a biological level. Hmm. And what does a father do that loves you? A father's willing to give everything. A father's willing to die for that which he loves. A father's proud. A father is proud of his creations. And a father also knows that sometimes the creations aren't always going to be perfect, especially when you throw choice and free will into the matter. So there it is. The night terrors and dreams, they, I still have a dream every once in a while, but the dreams are usually not as terrifying. They're more of like a sad thing. It's like whenever you have a dream and nobody's there. That still bothers me nowadays, but it doesn't cause me to wake up screaming and yelling and all that kind of shit. It just causes me to wake up and then I look around. And then I see my daughter, and I see my son, and I see my wife, and I realize it was just a dream, and then it goes away. And my wife can tell whenever I've had a bad dream, because she'll get up and she'll give me a hug, and she'll say, you all right, honey? I'll say, yep. Yeah. I'm all right now, because you're here, and I see you. And my wife always, I guess she takes it as romantic or sweet, because she always goes, oh, and then gives me a big hug. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, 
a lot of it uh, I have like every once every couple months nowadays where I'll have like that dream that nobody's around type of deal and I'll have some other weird shit go on but dreams where monsters are running after you or you're in the shadows I'm not afraid of the dark I'm not afraid of demons and monsters I'm not afraid of uh, anything trying to kill me I guess my only fear is just blank loneliness, abandonment. That's it. Well, you guys wanted to hear it, as you can see, towards the survey. I asked you guys what kind of stuff do you like to hear about, and some of you out there, you like my personal life. I've went through a lot of experiences throughout my life. And like I said, I used to talk about my stories and my life all the time in my first uh, five years of doing YouTube I've been here for almost 20 now but like I said people were just taking my shit out of context and cutting my videos up to make me look like a bastard or terrible so I stopped I started just making more straightforward content about you know my belief in God and my views and all that I stopped sharing my inner person because of that shit. Alright, ladies and gentlemen. My nose is getting too stuffy, and no, I'm not over here crying or something like that. It's just stuffy because of allergies, and my throat's starting to hurt. So, I'm going to shut this down. If any of you want to know about anything about my personal life, we'll... You should try, if you can, to be a little bit more specific. I know my questionnaire wasn't very specific, but... Well, shit, just, you know, if you think that a video would be interesting, just say, Hey, Brett, how do you feel about this? Or how do you feel about that? Or can you make a video about this? Because I like making videos for people. I like being able to talk about things that might make people think or entertain people and all that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, God bless.